Hey, glad you're joining us as we continue our summer series, Summer in the Psalms. Um, Let me pray as we look at Psalm 103 today. And so, uh, God, I love you. And I just pray right now that um, we would bring all of ourselves uh, into this time uh, where um, we may need hope. uh, We may need encouragement. uh, We may need to feel understood uh, or known. And whatever that may be, um, would you meet us here? And may we have a clearer picture today of uh, who you are, uh, what you're like, and what you uh, desire, God. We love you. Amen. Well, today's psalm is a psalm of reorientation. And to reorient uh, simply means to adjust or to come to terms with or to adopt a new direction or a new way. I I remember uh, a number of years ago, my wife and I went on our honeymoon in Ireland, amazing country, and we really wanted to explore as much of the country as we could. And so we rented a car. And if you've ever driven in the UK, you know that you drive on the left side of the road and the right side of the car. This is a very strange feeling and phenomena. And of course, most cars in the UK uh, have a manual transmission. Um, Now I know how to drive, I know how to drive a a manual car, um, but part of the experience was foreign to me. And so when I was driving, I would constantly veer towards the median because I wanted to be on the left side of the car, which my wife would um, gently remind me, hey, like you're, you're too close to the median, like go back to the center. And the natural inclination is to get away from those Uh, other cars. See, I wasn't learning um, to orient myself to driving. I know how to drive, but I was disoriented because of the driving conditions in in which I was having um, to experience. And so what I actually need to do was to reorient myself or come to terms with how to drive under these new um, conditions. And on that trip, I did end up backing into a pole, not the point of my story, but but still this type of psalm that we come here today is similar in that we're reorienting, or the the, the writer, uh, I should say, is reorienting himself back to God and his ways. And worth looking at here is a chart. Uh, This is from Walter Bergerman, uh, who writes a great uh, commentary on the Psalms. He actually groups the Psalms uh, in in a very specific way. And he says that there are three types of Psalms, Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and then Psalms of new orientation or reorientation. And um, in that first bracket there in orientation, uh, when we looked at Psalm 1 a couple of weeks ago, that was where that Psalm is in in that category of orientation. Two weeks ago when Emily uh, spoke, she did a great job, by the way, if you haven't listened to that, please go back and listen to it. It was a Psalm of disorientation. And in that first bracket there, in times of orientation, uh, this is when everything makes sense to us in our lives, where uh, the routine of our lives is, is clear and direct and we're worshipful, right? We're, we're saying God is good and, and things are taken care of, right? And then what we see there is a transition from orientation to disorientation. I really appreciate this. Uh, it just really shows our life really well here in this, this transition moment. Um, Bergman mentions, mentions Jewish suffering. I mean, think about suffering the Jesus's crucifixion, right? Where things are not okay anymore and we're moving into this time of disorientation. The predictable uh, routine of our life has been broken. We sense loss, darkness, despair. Oftentimes what we find in this category are psalms of uh, lament. Uh, I like how it says there are songs of disarray. And that this could be individual lament. This could be communal uh, lament. 
But uh, the hope is we don't stay in that place, right? And so that second movement is so important, which is what? A surprise, right? A resurrection, a, a, a moment of hope. That's the transition into a reorientation where we're filled with gratitude, wonder, and praise as we realize that God is at, like, at work lifting us out of the pit and setting us on a new course. And this does a great job of showing us our life, right? Movements from being secure and oriented and sure of ourselves and knowing things are good, right? We're like, I want, I desire that season again in my life. But then we, we, we move into seasons where we're painfully disoriented, right? Like we've, we've been in that over the last year and a half. Like we understand songs of lament, songs of disarray, like where we're just lost. And I think in some ways, this is, this is really important to understand this, this next transition, to be taken off guard, reoriented back to life, a life of faith that actually makes sense to us with hope and where we're surprised um, by these moments of um, surprised resurrection. And Walter Brueggemann goes on to say, the collection of the Psalms is not for those whose life is one of uninterrupted continuity and equilibrium. Such people should stay safely in the book of Proverbs, which reflects on the continuities of life. But few of us live that kind of life. Most of us who think our lives are that way have been numbed, desensitized, and suppressed so that we are cut off from what is in fact going on in our lives. And, and this right here is exactly why the Psalms are so important. So often we look at the scriptures and we see them detached, right? We see it as like an outdated rule book, disconnected from reality, but that clearly is not the case. The Psalms are genuine. They show us human frailty. They show us human flourishing, all that it means uh, to be human. And what are they teaching us to do in those moments? They're teaching us to pray to really pray, not just like pious platitudes, but real heart bending and shaping prayers to say, God, I desire, I, I want this God. And so I wanna look at some of the particulars here of what this looks like uh, for David. Psalm uh, 103 uh, begins like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So what is he doing here? He's beginning to talk to what in particular? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And I want to focus on that word soul for a second. Christians are people uh, who believe not just in the material world, the, the, the physical, but people who believe in the spiritual. And this is not going to be a, a comprehensive examination of uh, the soul, uh, partly because as I began to study, I, I found that there's a lot of debate about uh, the soul and the body and the relationship of the natural world and all of these things. But it is worth spending a few minutes to ask, what is the soul, right? It's probably not something you, you think about casually. Uh, and, and one Catholic theologian, Ronald Rollheiser, um, he writes a book on uh, Christian spirituality. He says this, he says, what is a soul? It would be interesting to record impressions of what comes to mind spontaneously when one hears the word soul. For many of us, I suspect the word, to the extent that it conjures up anything at all, produces an image, a very vague one, of some white, semi-invisible spiritual tissue paper that floats somewhere deep inside of us and which takes on stains when we sin and that will separate from the body at the moment of death and go off to be judged by God. Whatever the inadequacy of that picture, it is not without merit. We are, we are, after all, trying to conceive of something inconceivable, and we need to form some picture of it. 
What is wrong with that conception though, is that it separates the soul too much from the core of our persons, from our self-conscious identity. Our soul is not something that we have, it is more something we are. It is the very life pulse within us, which makes us alive. And so David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. When I was studying this, I kept thinking of the recent Pixar movie, uh, Soul. And I won't spoil the movie, but it's exactly what Ronald Rollheiser is saying here. The idea of this detached, vague, and semi-invisible spirit who in the film is heading to what? The great beyond, right? There's something, something vague beyond us, but something that's also unwilling to die. But more appropriately, the scriptures speak about the soul in a more uh, holistic fashion. Like, while the soul is mysterious, right, there are questions that we have absolutely, but it encompasses all of who we are as people and what it means uh, to be human. That's what the Hebrew word is even getting at, nefesh. It's, it's really talking about the whole being. And so, yes, we have an outer world, the material, but for most of us, we would say, there's more than that, right? Like I'm haunted with meaning and purpose. There's mystery, things that I, I, I can't explain, something larger outside of myself. Uh, theologian Dallas Willard spent a lot of time um, studying the soul and thinking about the inter integration of our soul and our, our spiritual life. And he came up with this diagram of concentric circles and he was showing a, an, an author, uh, John Ortberg, um, this. And I think this is really helpful to think about um, that it, it, it um, were more than just specific things. And, and here's what he, he goes on to talk about in his um, writings is that um, we are our will, right? That we are our capacity to choose and to make commitments, but clearly we know that we're more than that. And outside of our will is our mind, right? And in the ancient world, the mind um, dealt with a person's thoughts and feelings. But you and I obviously know that we are more than our will and our mind, but because we are a, a physical body, right? That's the physicality of who we are. This is where our behaviors uh, manifest. And the claim here is that outside of that encompassed in our body is our soul. Now, why is this important? Why would I take so much time to talk about this? And the reason is, is because I believe that you and I are a soul and we have to think bigger um, than um, the here and the now about who we are, but actually there's, there's more to us um, than meets the eye. Right? We're not just the product of chance, but you and I are valuable, created, uh, complex um, beings, right? And what's running our life right now is our soul. Not our circumstances, those are important, but they don't run us, right? Not just our thoughts, those are important, but they don't run us. But you and I are a soul that has value and our soul integrates all of those parts and enliven who we are as people. And then here's what David is doing. He's saying, okay, I gotta sit down and I gotta talk to my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And you may have heard this before, or maybe think, well, that's, that's beautiful prose, but that is not it. It's not just beautiful prose. David is talking to his heart, and he's doing something that we actually talked about a few months ago, but I think is, is a unique feature of these psalms of uh, reorientation. It's really, really important. He's not just listening to himself, but he's talking to himself. 
Now, I'm pretty sure we all talk to ourselves like in some way or another, just, you're, just be honest about this, right? When we're talking, when we have our headphones in, like when we're riding the train, when we're in the shower, whatever, we talk to ourselves. This has been a great benefit of wearing masks uh, over the last year and a half is that um, we can talk to ourselves even out loud and um, no one's really gonna know, right? But even outside of that, if we don't you know, speak out loud to ourselves, we all have sort of an inner chatter going on. And um, I don't know about you, if I've, I'm honest about my self-talk, my, my self-talk is pretty defeatist. I, I'm prone to catastrophizing and sort of this ping pong brain that I have, right? Walking in like, what should I say in the meeting, right? Is there gonna be a long line? Uh, will I know how to interact with people at the gathering that I'm going to? All of these things are constantly you know, going on in our minds. But in these scenarios, uh, the question would be, are we talking to ourselves or are we listening to ourselves? And that's why David is saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to his soul. In another place, in, in Psalm chapter 42, uh, he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. And he just starts talking to himself. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hope in God. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones had a, a commented on this verse and he says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to yourself? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment of himself in Psalm 42 is this. Instead of allowing his self talk to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou downcast? Oh, my soul, he asks. How soul? His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Are you listening to yourself or are you talking to yourself? So often we you know, are experiencing something in our life and we wanna to talk to a friend or a family member for, for comfort, to, for truth and for wisdom and for advice. But one of the things that we need to realize is um, you and I are actually the most prominent people in our life because we'd have this inner chatter going on. And so we actually need to not, um, not just listen to ourselves, but to talk to ourselves. right? If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for you, will he not also freely give you all things? He's at the right hand of God. He's interceding for you. Who can separate you from the love of God through his son? Jesus, and I just have to wonder, what would happen to you and I if we actually believed the things that God says about us to be true? What would change about us? And that's what David is reminding himself of over and over and over again here. But it's not um, vague, right? He does get into some more general concepts, but the content here is actually quite important. He says, bless the Lord of my soul. But then he goes on, forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? And so the psalmist is actually getting clearer here about what to remember. Forget not all his benefits. And we have the, the, um, the foresight uh, of, of Jesus in the New Testament, right? Christianity is in part, uh, uh, in part, it's remembering what God has done in Christ. And our recalling of these memories are part of this. In fact, in, in one sense, I think it's, it's almost that we could say to be human is to remember. 
right? I think humans are the only cre created things that um, chronicle historic events in that way where we think back, right? And then we're able to live a different present or a different future. Uh, my grandmother died uh, a number of years ago um, after an eight-year battle with Alzheimer's. And um, every time I would uh, see her, she would uh, seem less and less herself because she was unable to remember her past. And I think that's what makes Alzheimer's um, so um, horrible because it dehumanizes a person by taking away their memories and it deteriorates them in the present. They forget who they are, so it's harder to live in the present and into the future. And so we know that forgetting is inhuman because much of our past shapes our present and our future. And this is repeatedly actually uh, the story of the Old Testament, that the Israelite people forgot that their God was with them in the wilderness, that God provided for them in the wilderness and uh, in the Exodus. And um, in that way, they forget to worship God in the present because they forgot what God had historically done in the past. And that's what uh, David is doing here. It's almost like he's sitting down, looking in the mirror, mirror and he's saying, what has God done for you? And, and that's, that's the three kind of questions I want to bring to us um, here toward a new orientation is just to ask these questions um, to us. What, the first one is this, what has God done? Right, this, the psalmist gets specific here, um, and I love how uh, Eugene Peterson um, puts these verses in the, uh, in the message translation in Psalm 103. He says, he forgives your sins, everyone. He heals your diseases, everyone. He redeems you from hell, saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. He renews your youth. You've always, you're always young in his presence. And so uh, the psalmist is talking about um, these ideas of forgiveness and healing and redemption and crowning us and satisfying us. And it's a way of calling back into the past. What has God done in the past? Uh, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, it says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know that what was in your heart, whether you keep his commands or not, right? It, the past is shaping the future in that way. And so what had God done in your life? Maybe uh, moments where uh, he saved you from a horrible path that you were heading on, where you, you could look back on and say, I know that God was with me during that time. God helped me forgive that person in that time. And you know, one of the things that um, has been so hard about the, the, the last year and a half is that um, a, a massive part of uh, um, gathering together and, and worshiping is the sacraments, um, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it. Um, coming, coming to take communion and baptism, these reminders are so tangible in what God has done. They're, they're in the present but they remind us or recall us back to what God has done, right? We, when we take the Lord's Supper together, um, we're reminded of the cross, right? Of what Jesus has done, the blood that was poured out, his bread, uh, his body beaten and bruised for us. And then it also even in, in the midst of that reminds us of uh, the resurrection. We sort of um, spend the time to get the scope um, in communion of what God has done for us in taking away our sins. 
And then in baptism, we mirror Jesus in his death, burial, and in resurrection by going under the water, right? We're dying to ourselves. We're being raised to life in Christ. And those sacraments are uh, so important as we gather and we think about gathering back uh, in person. We're, we have the ability in that moment to say, I understand and comprehend what God has done for me, and I want to live into a different future based on that. But the truth is, and we know this to be very true, we don't live in the past. Um, and we cannot live in the past. It's not physically possible. And we anticipate future, but we live, and we live into a future, but we don't live in the future, right? We live in the present. And so the next question we actually need to ask is, what is God currently doing? What is God currently doing? And I love the way that the psalmist actually ends up putting this in Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. He says, he does not deal with us according to our sins. And I love how it's kind of this present way of thinking about it. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's how God sees us in the present if we're in his son. He sees us presently sinless, right? Not, not just like in the future, he's gonna be, it, no, like presently, this is how God sees us. And so if Christianity is about anything, it's about a transformation and, and renewal, not just as like a one-time event, but it's about an ongoing transformation of our identity. I was thinking uh, this week about the uh, very word uh, disciple. Jesus calls us his disciples, and we take that to mean to be followers of him. But the, the Greek word is actually mathetes, and it, it, it actually means to be a learner. And um, what, what that means is we don't graduate from being a disciple ever, but it's an ongoing process of change. And God is actually doing that in a present, in the present as we walk with him um, and not just like this one-time thing that's happened in our past. And then lastly, what will God do? Right, we live in a tension. Um, it's something that's happened in the past. We live in the present, but we long for something um, to, to ultimately happen in the future. And so we do live in uh, in, in between. We want to be reoriented ultimately uh, in the future. That's why in Psalm uh, 103, verse eight, it says, "The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love." Right. This is, this is who God is. His, his very identity is love and that's ongoing. And so what will God do? And uh, Revelation 21 gives this, um, this consummation of all things picture of what God is going to do in the future. Revelation 21 uh, is um, John's vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be there, be him as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the th former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. This is the, the restoration of all things, that God is going to make all things new. And so we rest in the promise of that future, but we reflect on what has God done? What is God doing in the present? And what will God do? And as we do that, we remember the benefits and we rest in them. Let's pray.
And so, Father, thank you for this text, um, which um, really puts into perspective um, our experiences, what we're going through, um, as we think about what you've done in our past and what you want to do in our future. Um, but we know, God, that we live in the present and we have present struggles and tensions and things that we're thinking through. And I just pray that this um, passage today would bring us a deep comfort uh, about what you've done and the longings that we have inside of that. And so, God, would you meet us here in this place? We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, thank you so much uh, for being here today. I know we're still online. We're making plans uh, to gather in the fall. And so you can be um, praying about that. Um, don't forget, of course, we're going to be gathering. Uh, if you're watching this on Sunday, we're going to be gathering uh, tonight at 6 p.m. The link for all the information for that uh, reunion night is um, below. Uh, we also want to be a community that gives generously. We believe that God has been generous uh, to us and that we get to give back uh, to what he's doing through our community, through our church community. You can do that at reunionnyc.com backslash um, give. Please feel no compulsion uh, to do that if you're just checking us out for the first time. I'm going to uh, read our giving uh, liturgy and then I'll send you with a blessing. It says this, Father, you are an abundant giver. There is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you. Help me to honor you with my resources. Free me from the deceit of riches. Lead me on the path of generosity. All that I have is yours. All that I have is you. Use our gifts for the works of love and mercy and to the increase of your glory. Amen. And let me send you the blessing. Please receive this. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he give us this reorientation back, a clear vision and picture of what's ahead. May the Holy Spirit give us awareness to speak to ourselves. And may we be sent out resting in what God has done for us through his son. Amen.